Today's scripture reading is from Mark 11:27 to 33. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then do you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they held all that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gavin. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Disciples Church. It is great to see all of you. I feel like we're in a middle school a little bit. There's a lot of heaviness at the back. Nobody's really at the front. You know what I mean? So if you're not going to sit in the front, I'll come and make you sit in the front. No, I won't. I'm just kidding you. Um, We are very, very glad that you have decided to join us in worship this afternoon. My name is Dave Hahn. It is my privilege, uh, as always, to open God's word with and for you this afternoon. Just before I started first grade, the city of Milwaukee had announced that kids were not necessarily going to go to a school nearest them. They called it integrated schooling. This happened like in the late 70s, mid to late 70s through the 80s. Practically, that meant that I'd be getting bused across town to go to school. My parents did not like this idea, so they sent me to a private Catholic school just down the street from us, and I walked to and from school each day. Now, I did not grow up Catholic. My dad did, so I was unaware of the traditions and the rules that oftentimes go along with Catholicism. I had also never seen a nun in person, but all of that was about to change. My first day of school was somewhat eventful. I was made aware of some of these new rules and learned a couple traditions. I had this brand new Catholic schoolboy kind of outfit on. Nuns were everywhere. In fact, most of them were the teachers at the school. And to be honest with you, they were a little bit heavier on the discipline than I would have expected or than I was used to. And not to sound older than I actually am, but for the sake of context, and just so you kids can understand this, I grew up during a time, and probably some of your parents did, when any adult could hit any kid for anything. Who remembers all of that? Right? During art class on that first day, we put together self-portraits made of construction paper and glue. I ended up getting glue on my hands, as one would expect, I suppose, a seven-year-old boy. And almost instinctively, I chose to clean off my glue-crusted hands on the pant legs of my brand-new schoolboy uniform. Confession, I still rub my dirty hands on my pants when they get dirty, much to my wife's chagrin. Within seconds, of treating my pants like it was a towel, I heard what sounded like the crack of a whip. 
And then I felt this strange, sudden, stinging sensation on the top of my right hand. I had been struck. And when I looked up, I saw Sister Rose, yes, I remember her name, glaring at me with a long wooden dowel in her hand. Of course, she was holding the source of my stinging appendage. And these innocent yet inquisitive words came out of my mouth. Why did you hit me? Sister Rose answered, because you wiped glue on your pants. But they're my pants, I replied. And with that, my personality was born, and to the school office I went. It took some time, but I eventually made peace with what so offended me about this altercation, this unjust and potentially excessive punishment by Sister Rose. I asked myself, why do I think she did what she did? Because she believed that she had the authority to do it. And why did it bother me so much? Because I didn't think she did. That's simple. In my seven-year-old mind, my mom and dad carried that level of authority and discipline and no one else. Now, had I wiped my gluey hands on someone else's pants, maybe she would have had a case. But no harm was done that a stern wash cycle on hot could not and did not fix. I guess authority is a subjective idea. Have you ever been told to do something by someone that you didn't think had the authority to tell you to do it? Maybe a younger sibling. Some random adult that you don't know. That used to happen to me when I was a kid. Or even now, a coworker who is not your boss but likes to think they are. Or maybe you're more of a rule follower. A firstborn child, you're just kind of prone to do what others tell you to do. Or you've been steadily trained, not as a firstborn child, to obey anybody who is older than you are. And if that person says jump, your only answer is how high and when can I come down? Well, regardless of where you or I land on that spectrum, The fact is that you and I are all under authority. Parents, teachers, bosses, police officers, government officials, you name it. And quite likely, you and I don't even know anyone who doesn't have to answer to someone in some way. But our sinful nature sometimes makes it difficult for us to know how to respond to authority in a good and a healthy way, in a God-honoring way. You and I, in the midst of authority, either tend towards rebellion, revealing that the root of every sin is our desire to be our own God, or we will tend towards some form of codependency believing that our compliance will gain us the love we so desperately need and long for. If I just obey them, then they'll love me. And because authority is a significant reality, both on earth and in heaven, we need 
to know what it is, who has it, and where it comes from. And it was these very questions, my friends, that the religious leaders of Jesus' day asked in Mark 11. But before we get to today's passage, I did want to address a question that some of you may have. What happened to verse 26 in Mark 11? Depending on what Bible translation you use, your Bible may or may not have a verse 26. The ESV, which is what I use, does not have it. The King James and others still have it in there. This is not the first time that we have encountered something like this in the book of Mark. So the question then becomes is what's going on here? Where did it go? It is simply this. Mark eleven twenty six is not found in the oldest of the Greek manuscripts. Manuscripts that date back to 200 or 300 A.D. And because they don't exist in those manuscripts, certain translators chose to leave it out. Others chose to include it, and still others chose to put brackets with a little footnote explaining why into their translation. And to give context and serve as a refresher, let's read Mark eleven twenty five again. And what I will do is add the New American Standard version of verse 26 immediately after so you can kind of hear it in context. Verse 25 of the ESV reads, And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And then verse 26, if you have it, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Most scholars believe that verse 26, the verse we just read, was added to later manuscripts to improve, quote-unquote, the ending of that last section, 22 through 25. And that, the, that verse 26 likely was taken from Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, which reads, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So it's clear that Mark eleven twenty-six and Matthew six fifteen are incredibly similar. And it's easy, I guess, to see how scholars came up with their reasoning for the late edition of verse 26. So, whether your Bible has a verse 26 or not, rest assured, there is no new or important Christian doctrine which is affected by the inclusion or the exclusion of verse 26. I didn't want the omission in your Bible to be a distraction for anyone, and I think it's kind of cool to understand the why behind decisions like that, decisions you and I do not get drawn into regardless of whether or not we actually agree with that decision. Now then, on to verses 27 through 33. Just to serve as a reminder, the background of today's passage goes back to where we left off two weeks ago. Jesus, the day after what we call Palm Sunday, returned to Jerusalem, entered the temple, overturned the tables, chased out the money changers, and drove out those who bought and sold within it, declaring, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the religious leaders 
Hearing this and seeing this were outraged, and they became intent, all the more intent on destroying Jesus. The events found in today's passage occurred the following day. So what we are reading today happened after those events. That's the context. So let's begin with verses 27 and 28. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? I think it's important to note that Jesus was not walking around the temple looking for a confrontation. But he likely knew that one was coming. He likely knew that one was coming. After all, he knew what the day before brought, and he also knew that the whole of his earthly ministry was met with the opposition of the religious elite, people who were jealous of him, afraid of him, and bent on killing him. The chief priests, scribes, and elders asked Jesus these two questions. By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you the authority to do them? So, what things then are the religious leaders referring to? It was the events of the day before, where Jesus overturned tables and drove, out, drove people out and rebuked those who were responsible. Who or what gives you the right to do these things? That's what they wanted to know. Because they thought that they were the authorities. They thought they were the authorities, or at least were speaking and ha- acting on behalf of those who were. In their mind, Jesus needed their permission to do the things that he did and to say the things that he said. But Jesus spoke and Jesus acted as though he had an authority of his own. Because he did. Because he did. Do you remember back in Mark 7 when Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders because he would not recognize or participate in the traditions of their elders? The elders being the scribes and the rabbis who came before them. And the core issue of that confrontation was this. The religious leaders were not evaluating Jesus or his disciples against God's word, but against the measure of their religious traditions, which they held in the highest regard and they saw as the ultimate authority. And many of the religious among us today live in a similar manner where God and his perfect word are at the mercy of the sayings, traditions, and rituals of men. Rather than the sayings, traditions, and rituals of men being subject to God and his holy scriptures. Curiously, many of those traditions and celebrations find their roots in unshakable biblical foundations and thinking, but If we are not careful, the words of man, our traditions, and our religious activities can become more important to us than the word of God. 
and they can replace the person of Jesus Christ in our hearts and our minds, causing us to ask, just like the religious leaders did, who are you to say such things to me? Friends, the religious leaders in Mark 11 were outraged because Jesus spoke and acted as one with his own authority. Independent of men, yet wholly dependent upon the will of his Father. And it amazed and angered those who heard and saw him. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus used this phrase. You may remember it. You have heard it said, but I say to you. I know what you have heard, and I know what you have seen, but I have something even better. Listen to a few of the verses that we've already read as we've been in this series of Mark's gospel. Mark 1.22 reads, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. Why? For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Just a few verses later in Mark 1.27, after Jesus had healed a demon-possessed man, we read, And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. In Mark 2, when confronted with a paralytic, Jesus said, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. In Mark 4, 41, after Jesus calmed the storm, Mark writes, and they were filled, these are the disciples, with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? With his own authority, Jesus taught, cast out demons, caused the lame to walk, calmed storms, made the dead to rise, and forgave sins in his own authority. And with that same authority, he turned over tables and chairs and drove out the corruption within the temple. No one before or since has said or done such things. No one. Many have claimed to be God. Certainly many of us tend to live as though we are, but only Jesus has proven himself to be so. Only Jesus. Listen how Jesus responded to their questions back in Mark 11. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. 
And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The line of questioning that Jesus uses answering a question with a question was common among rabbis, but Jesus was the master of it. Just the master of it. His opponents would routinely try to trap him, but hang themselves in the process. And we're witnessing a hanging right now. Moral of the story. Do not try to trap God. You will lose. You will lose. So, the religious leaders got into a holy huddle and they decided to discuss the question among themselves. And the question that Jesus asked forced the religious leaders to either admit or deny what John said of Jesus. That he was the Messiah. That he was the promised one. That he was God. And if Jesus was Messiah and he was God, then they knew where his authority came from. But they didn't want to admit that he was who he said he was. They didn't want to admit that what John said of him was true. Because that would mean that they could no longer be their own God and that they would need to surrender to his lordship rather than one of their own making. My friends, if we are honest, it is this mindset where we find the source of unbelief and one's refusal to follow Christ. Unbelief, in most cases, is not a problem of the intellect, but a problem of the heart and of the will. If you have yet to surrender to and follow Christ, or if as a believer you are refusing to obey him in some area of your life, let me ask you this question. If you could know for certain that he is who he said he is, that his every word and every deed was true, and that he was calling out to you, would you surrender? Would you follow? Would you obey? Is your unbelief or your disobedience an issue of you needing more proof or is it an issue of the will? Because you don't want to believe and you don't want to obey. Sadly, we are great at making excuses for our unbelief and for our disobedience. It's hard to do the thing God is asking me to do, we'll say. Yep, it can be but he is not asking any of us to do anything that he will not equip us for. And he is asking us to step out in faith and trust him with whatever worries us about it. Yeah, but Christians are hypocrites. Yep, but so are you. So you're going to fit right in. At least you'll be a forgiven hypocrite with an eternity in heaven to look forward to. Friends, Christianity is a person, 
It's not an ideology to ascribe to. And it is Jesus Christ that we follow, not his followers. So in this new year, I am not a fan of New Year's resolutions, but in this new year, let's be honest. Okay, let's be honest and stop making excuses as to why we don't believe and why we won't obey. Now, if you are legitimately seeking God and you want to know truth and you have a desire to obey him but you're struggling to do so, please know that you are welcome in this place. With all your questions, with all of your doubt, we would be truly honored to walk with you through that because we find ourselves in those same places. But if you are just looking for ways to justify not following Jesus and a way for you to be able to live life on your own terms, I would ask you to be honest with yourself about that and be bold enough to ask God to change your mind and your heart. He will. He will. The reality of it is, friends, that most of us don't want God to be God. We like being God. We'll take a Savior, but a Lord? We don't want someone else telling us what we can and can't do, unless, of course, we agree with it. We don't want someone else being in control of our lives, unless, of course, we would do that same thing. And all of this, this whole mess, began in heaven long before the world was made where Satan decided that he no longer wanted to worship, but to be worshipped. And it continued in the Garden of Eden where the prospect of knowing good and evil for themselves seemed more appealing to Adam and Eve than trusting God to determine that for them. Friends, because sin entered the world, we are all rebels at heart. We are all rebels at heart. And we are born looking for ways to push God off of his throne, refusing to bow the knee to his lordship. And apart from Christ making us new, that is who we will remain. Apart from Christ making us new, Rebels is who we will continue to be. And it was rebels, disguised as religious leaders, who confronted Jesus in Mark 11. John said that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was God, and Jesus proved himself to be so over and over again. So it wasn't for a lack of proof that these men stood in opposition to him. It was all about their refusal to surrender, to believe, and to follow. It was a matter of the will and of the heart, the rebellious heart. As one commentator put it, it is more difficult at first to face the truth and admit you're wrong, but it is the only path with a real future. And I would add, it is also the only path that leads to eternal life. Facing truth 
and admitting you're wrong. Jesus knew that these men were not seeking truth. Never in his three years of earthly ministry were these leaders sincerely seeking God. And they were looking to prove that they were right and to gain favor in the eyes of the onlookers because they feared men more than they feared God. Verse 32 says, They, speaking of the religious leaders, were afraid of the people. For they, the people, all held that John really was a prophet. The leaders were really hoping that Jesus would answer their questions with, God gave me the authority. That way they could charge him with blasphemy and they could kill him. Then he'd be gone. And their power and their position and their pseudo-lordship would remain. And that is why Jesus refused to answer their questions. He knew their hearts and he knew their intent. The 11th chapter of Hebrews, friends, says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But, but, he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you diligently seeking Jesus? Friends, God can handle our doubts and he can handle our questions, but he sees our hearts and he knows what is sincere and he knows what isn't. And he rewards the humble and the broken, but he rejects the haughty and the proud. Seven-year-old Dave, with glue all over his pants, rejected the authority that God had given Sister Rose because he thought he knew better. He's still not sure she was right, to be honest. (laughs) But the authority that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, is everlasting. No beginning and no end. And it is complete. And he executes it perfectly. Perfectly. No one who has authority has been given it apart from him. So, everyone in authority is under his authority, whether we realize it and embrace it or not. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, in Matthew 28, he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the one through whom and by whom all things were made, all of heaven and all of earth. Jesus alone defeated sin once for all on the cross. Jesus alone defeated death by triumphing over the grave and rising to new life. So where does authority come from? God. And who has God given it to? Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know what the Greek word for all is? All. Authority over sin, authority over death, 
Authority over Satan and his demons. Authority over governments and nations. Man, that's a balm to our soul this week, isn't it? Authority to execute judgment. Authority to extend grace. And authority over whatever worries or troubles you in this life. And even though Jesus has all authority, 2,000 years ago, he became a servant. Unbelievably, he became a servant. A servant unto death for you and for me. And he calls us now, as his children, to do the same for one another, to love and serve and pray for those in authority and those under our authority. For our friends and for our enemies. Utterly dependent upon the life that Jesus Christ lives in and through us by the power of his indwelling spirit. We don't have a hope or a prayer of doing these things on our own. But if Christ does them in and through us, they will happen. Last thing. In the book of Revelations, chapter 2, we find Jesus giving his authority to others. Listen to Revelations 2, verses 26 through 29. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear. Friends, rejoice in God's love for you, in his kindness to you, and his presence in you, and his authority on your behalf. Because one day, you and I, as his sons and as his daughters, will rule with him. We will rule with him, the Lord and authority over all. Let's pray. Our Father, if we are honest, we, we struggle with your authority. We, we want you to execute it on others for our sake, but we don't want you to execute it on us. We struggle because we want control of our own lives and we want others to do the things that we think they should do. But God, we are awful at controlling our own lives. And you have not asked us to control the lives of others. Reveal to us where we have not believed, where we have not obeyed, and we are, where we are trying to control. Reveal to us where we are making excuses and give to us a heart and a will that surrenders to you. The events of this week within our nation have shown us once again how broken our world is and how much we need you to govern our lives. If only we would look to you, the king of heaven, more than we do the kings of earth. You alone are king of kings. You alone are God. You alone are Jesus, our Messiah, 
to let our lives as citizens of heaven, but ambassadors to this world, reflect your glory and bring you every honor that you are due. We love you, and we thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. We who were once rebels through your death and resurrection have been made sons and daughters, and we praise you for that. For your sake, Lord Jesus, and in your most holy and precious name we pray. Amen.